This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. One issue before the legislature this year is judicial redistricting. That means balancing out the number of judges covering the state to make sure that every case gets heard in a timely manner. I think when we went into this, we realized that we probably in the past hadn't paid enough attention to our courts and how they were appropriated from a from a judicial standpoint. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly supported by Luke Frazier. Governor Jim Justice pushed for tax reform Monday in a roundtable that featured two of the country's top tax policy influencers. Caroline McGregor reports. The governor was joined at the West Virginia Culture Center by Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform, and Stephen Moore with the Heritage Foundation. Senate President Craig Blair and House Speaker Roger Hanshaw were there as well, along with local business leaders. Justice has been promoting a reduction in the personal income tax since last year. The House of Delegates passed a bill similar to the governor's recommendation. The Senate has passed a separate bill with small reductions as well as tax credits. Norquist said moving quickly to bring the rates down to zero over time is key. Most successful states have done it with triggers where when revenue comes in above a planned spending level, half of that money or two-thirds of that increase goes straight into reducing the income tax permanently. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Caroline McGregor in Charleston. A new full-time care opportunity will be available for Beckley area veterans soon. As Appalachia Health News reporter Emily Rice reports, the facility needs caregivers to operate. The Beckley VA Medical Program is seeking caregivers for the new Medical Foster Home Program. Medical foster homes are community-based living arrangements for veterans who cannot live independently due to physical or cognitive impairment. These homes are an alternative to traditional nursing home care by opting for a natural and therapeutic home environment. VAMC rigorously assesses caregivers' abilities and level of compassion alongside a traditional background check and a professional home inspection. If you or someone you know may be interested in becoming a caregiver in the Medical Foster Home Program, call Program Coordinator Brittany Henderson at 304-207-7370. For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Appalachia Health News is a project of West Virginia Public Broadcast with support from Charleston Area Medical Center and Marshall Health. Monday was Library Day at the legislature. As Chris Schultz reports, the day was a celebration of public libraries throughout the state, but also an opportunity to request funding. Libraries are best known for their books, but in recent years they've slowly expanded their offerings to include everything from board games to power tools. Erica Connolly is the library director for the Kanawha County Public Library System. She says that West Virginia ranks among the lowest states in terms of funding for public libraries, and state aid hasn't increased in more than a decade. We have a line item in the budget that's been zero for several years. It's $5 million for capital improvements, deferred maintenance. We're in a lot of old buildings in our communities and in our towns. Uh, we're also looking for two, $2 million in supplemental funds. You know, West Virginia lost a lot of population as a result. A lot of counties lost 
library funding. According to the West Virginia Library Association, public libraries evaluated their building needs to be more than $56 million back in 2017. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Charleston. The Senate voted unanimously Monday to encourage Mon Power to purchase a power plant in northern West Virginia to save it from closing. Curtis Tate has more on what this might mean for ratepayers. The Pleasance Power Station has been making electricity from coal for 44 years. But the plant, which employs about 150 workers, is scheduled to shut down at the end of May. State lawmakers moved Monday to save those jobs by adopting a resolution to strongly encourage First Energy subsidiary Mon Power to purchase the Pleasance plant. Senator Donna Boley, a Pleasance County Republican, sponsored the resolution. The job losses created by such a closure stands to rip the social fabric that binds our community together. I urge you today to join me and vote for the passage of this resolution. Boley had the support of the chamber's few Democrats. Senator Mike Caputo of Marion County described the impact of a power plant closure in his district. Caputo said power plants support other jobs in the community. And so it's more than just a, a few jobs to operate the, uh, the facility. It's the ancillary jobs that count too, and that, that could come up into the hundreds, maybe a thousand. The Pleasance plant burns millions of tons of West Virginia coal each year. It provides tax revenue that supports local government services. But owner Energy Harbor decided to close it because it was no longer economical to operate. And should Mon Power decide to purchase the plant, it will pass along that cost to ratepayers. Mon Power customers' rates already went up on January 1st. Still, no senators opposed Boley's resolution. More than a majority of those elected and voting, I declare the resolution adopted. The West Virginia Public Service Commission gave Mon Power until March 31st to evaluate the feasibility of acquiring the Pleasance plant. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 749. Mostly sunny skies today, highs in the 50s and 60s. Breezy tonight with a chance of rain, lows in the 40s. Tomorrow, mostly sunny and windy with highs in the 60s and low 70s. Thursday, a chance of rain with gusty wind, highs in the 60s. Support for WVPB is provided by the West Virginia State Treasurer's Office with the SMART 529 program, recognizing West Virginia's teachers through the Above and Beyond project. More at WVTreasury.com. Every eight years, the legislature is tasked with completing a judicial redistricting proposal. 2023 is one of those years. The goal is to ensure the state's civil courts are not clogged and criminal courts are working efficiently. Final decisions on this year's judicial redistricting will go before the House and Senate Judiciary Committees before lawmakers in both chambers to vote.
For the legislature today, government reporter Randy Owe spoke with Delegate Moore Capito, a Republican from Kanawha County, and Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, the chairman of the Judiciary Committees in their respective chambers, to talk about the decision-making process and other legislative legal issues. What were some of the noteworthy highlights of the redistricting committee study? Uh, Delegate Capito, you started. Sure. I think when we went into this, we realized that we probably in the past hadn't paid enough attention to our courts and how they were appropriated from a, from a judicial standpoint. Um, obviously, I think that was all brought a little bit to light when we handled redistricting for our various houses, when we uh, you know, drew new lines, and especially in the, uh, in the house where we, for the first time, came up with uh, 100 single-member districts. So uh, we really felt that it was important to take a, uh, an objective view on caseload, and so we asked for participation from uh, the judicial department, as I still call them, right. but uh, the judicial branch to be involved in that because I think more collaboration is obviously better. But we also know that uh, they can't really do anything without legislative action. So I think we took a collaborative approach. We engaged uh, the National Center for uh, on, on, on State Courts to to uh, to advise on, on a caseload study, and we're taking a close look at it. And it's the caseload study. What we're dealing with here are three divisions, the circuit courts, the family courts, and the magistrates. Let's start with circuit. And we know this is a historic term. You look at see the old westerns, and it was the circuit judge that would get on his horse or mule and go from circuit to circuit. And that's where the definition comes, if I'm not mistaken. But is there a minimum number of judges ruled per circuit? In the Constitution, no. And we have uh, several uh, single-judge circuits in the state right now. Uh, the bill that we're working on, at least in the Senate, will, uh, based on the data we got from the National Center for State Courts, uh, reduce that number of single-judge circuits. But, Randy, your, uh, your explanation is apt and, and right on. We still have circuits in the state where there's one judge, and he or she rides the circuit and travels from county to county to hold court. I know. I was looking at the map, and there are some that are three or four counties that would make up a circuit. But isn't there a requirement or a request for two judges at least per circuit? At least in the bill we've worked on in the Senate, we've tried to do that uh, because there are problems that arise when you have a single-judge circuit. And I don't want to go too far in the weeds on it. But if you have a judge who's ill, there's no one else there to, to help uh, handle the cases, and the Supreme Court has to find a senior status judge or send another judge in. At least with, uh, if you have at least two judges in the circuit, uh, then management of cases becomes easier and doesn't necessarily require the involvement of the Supreme Court. And Delegate Capital, that's what it's about, managing cases and making sure that the whole system works smoothly. I know that um, I've heard the Chief Justice Walker and as well as a Judge Anita Ashley, who talked to your committee last week, talked about the incredible excess of abuse and neglect cases. Is that statewide, and, and does that have come into play with redistricting? I mean, I think all of these things were taken into case or into consideration when the study on, on caseload was performed by 
uh, the institution which we uh, brought forward to, to help with this process. Uh, I think the number one thing that we can do is ensure that we're sort of alleviating any of, of bottleneck, alleviating any bottlenecks or clogging that we have in the system. And obviously, we know that some of that's occurring because we're understaffed, yeah. and we don't have enough judges uh, around to sort of hear the cases as quickly as they should. And ultimately, I mean, we, when we think about it, being sort of stewards of. Of, of, of all of West Virginia, I mean, that really starts to add up. I mean, the longer that people are waiting here, it drives up costs there. Uh, you have judges sitting here that could be doing work there. So, I mean, it's, it's a really comprehensive look, and um, I think we're, we're making progress. I would just only add to, to what the chairman said. You know, there was, a, I think, an initial desire to have a certain amount of judges maybe per district, but it is important to listen to the, the folks that are on the ground. Uh, and the judges that are uh, that are on the ground, and from a you know not only from a procedural standpoint, but from a practicality standpoint as well. And we're trying to meet those objectives uh, at the same time. When you're talking about on the ground, the boots on the ground guys are the magistrates. I mean, those are the guys that have to work 24/7, uh, weekends and holidays, two in the morning. You know, I, I've been to a few of those, and I'm sure you guys have too. Um, how do you ensure there's enough of those magistrates to keep the whole system moving? Uh, it's a great question. We have uh, some very small counties in the state. Every county, no matter how small, has at least two magistrates under our current law. The bill we're working on in the Senate preserves that. Um, and it will add magistrates in 11 different counties of the state where we need them, according to the data, uh, to manage the caseloads that they confront. So this is Senate Bill 482. Uh, Where does it stand now, and then when will it head to the House? It was reported uh, by our Judiciary Committee last week. Uh, The bill has a second reference in the Senate to the Committee on Finance. So it's now in the possession of the Finance Committee. And if it's uh, reported uh, favorably from our Finance Committee, it will come to the floor and be in a posture where it can be considered for passage and then... Uh, consideration by the House of Delaware. Uh, which will probably go to your committee right off the bat. I would assume so. You've just hit on a perfect example of where we'll have both of those committees involved. So there we go. <laughs> we solved it all in one day. Thank you very much. That was Delegate Moore Capito and Senator Charles Trump speaking with Randy Yoey for the legislature today. To hear the rest of their conversation, visit our website at wvpublic.org. And tune in to the legislature today every evening at 6 p.m. on both television and radio. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.